Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Elyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you. There are many individual circumstances uh, and situations regarding your one's own finances. Maybe you're on solid footing. Maybe you're not. Maybe you weren't before becoming a believer, but you are now, um, etc. Regardless of where you are now, we are going to discuss where you should be, some financial biblical principles, and then just some other items related to your finances that I thought were important. Um, so the first thing we'll talk about is debt and borrowing. In summary, don't do it where you can, where you can. Proverbs 6, 1 through 5 uh, says, My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you have been snared by the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. fowler. Um, I thought it was interesting at the end. It says, work quickly to deliver yourself from this bind you were in. Um, and so... To me, it's telling, telling me, do not stay in this debt. Uh, free yourself from it. Um, don't hinder paying off your debt more quickly where possible. Uh, having this kind of debt and being a slave to it is not wise. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule, rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. As long as you are tied by this debt, you are a slave. Proverbs 22, 26 through 27 says, Be not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bet be taken from, you, from under you? And so these two verses, I actually did not explicitly exegete, but when I, but when I read that verse, it made me think of um, an equity loan, per se. Um, an equity loan is basically where your house is valued at this, you have this much equity in the house and so you're looking to get a little loan they're saying if you put your house up for collateral then we'll give you the loan but the issue is what if you default on that loan um, it's very possible you will be sued by the bank or even the bank may foreclose on your home so don't put up securities that you have in order to take out a loan why risk losing your home spend and budget within your means now, with that said, though, um, there are, let's just be honest, in this day and age, some loans 
and let's call them for the majority of folks, unavoidable debt. Um, not many of you in this room, I think, at least judging by the giving, can throw 200,000 on a new house. Um, not many of you can throw 10,000 on a car. You can maybe even throw school, school loans in there because those have been skyrocketing. We know, we know. <laughs> um, but I think it's wise, that especially as a younger person, you already start focusing on these things and planning for these things. Uh, I know Pastor did a great series of the proverbial, proverbial man back in the, the wintertime. And he actually even discusses how when you as a father should be years before the kid turn eight, turns 18, kind of guiding your son, getting a plan together. Um, so when he turns 18, he can start pursuing the things that are going to help him start a family, not being debt, well, not, you're, you're probably going to be in debt no matter what, but be wise with how much debt you're getting into. I know there was one thing in there that, once again, I don't think it was wrong. I think I, I, I have a little different take on when it came to if I was being a biblical father and years in advance, you know, trying to prep my child and we had a plan and then for whatever reason at 18 he decides, I don't want to do this anymore or I want to do something else. I'm just not sure what yet. And so can I take some time off to think about it? Um, I don't know. I think I, I would personally struggle with that, uh, letting them stay at home even if they're working full time and obeying my rules. For me, for me, I would feel like I would be teaching my child, like, uh, when things get rough, things get hard, or, you know, or whatever, you can kind of just take, take time off. I, th I, don't want, I want my child to understand that you always have to be prepared for different circumstances that come up, and you just can't take time off. Uh, you, you have to always be grinding and pursuing uh, goals. Do I think it's obviously wise? as Pastor said, to not jump into a $200,000 school loan debt because you're just being pushed into it, sure. But I think if my child, if Hank were to come up to me and say, hey, Dad, I know we had this plan, but I just, I, it's not, I'm not passionate about it anymore. I would first say not, not, jobs aren't supposed to be passionate for what it's worth. Uh, sometimes you've got to do things that you don't want to do. Um, but, uh, but if you were to do that, I would say when you're ready to pursue something, you can come back home. But in the meantime, I would like you to, I guess, figure things out somewhere else. But I'm, I may be more harsh, personally. And like I said, if you, if you let your child live a couple years at home, I wouldn't sit there and go, I think you're wrong. It's just opinion. That's one of my opinions, personally. But regardless, if you are not pursuing trade school, college, a business, something, I think you, back to being opinion, but I think you should minimum be working one, one job that offers consistent overtime, uh, 55, 60 hours a week. Uh, and if they don't, then at minimum one, uh, one full-time job and a part-time job or something. For a couple of reasons. One, I think about idle hands and what, and what God does with it. Um, so, so what are you really... I mean, <laughs> unless you are that... Righteous to where you're saying, hey, we're no Brad, I'm, I'm spending 40 hours a week in the Word of God. Okay, well then maybe 
then maybe you I'll be honest with you, I kind of, you're getting yourself spiritually ready for a family and all that. I pursue that, brother. Um, but not many of us, I think, are spending 40 hours a week, less pastor, I hope, uh, in the Word of God each week. And so um, if you are truly just using that time for R&R, I would say you should be out there grinding because once you have a family, it just gets harder. So prepare yourself now for that moment to the best you can. Obviously, there's only so much a $12 an hour job can do for you financially, but I think discipline, I think it does a lot for you uh, in, the long, in the long haul too. And then meanwhile, don't just coast. If there's opportunity to advance within that company, uh, even before you're ready to say, this is what I want to do for a living over here, don't, don't, don't let that hinder you from becoming a system manager or whatever that's just, be wise. Always drive, uh, push yourself, drive yourself, because um, it can only help you in the end, I would, I would believe. Um, I, and when, I, when I talk about idle hands, um, this is probably a detriment to me. I kind of think about myself, because there was a time in my life before I even was in this church, I was actually working three jobs, and I don't mean one job 10 hours a week, one job five hours a week, and one job... Tw- it was two 40-hour-a-week jobs and one 15- to 20-hour-a-week job that I got myself in some, some bad financial situations. And so kind of like what I said before, you know, uh, what did I say? Deliver yourself quickly. I was trying to deliver myself quickly because I did not like being owned by other people. And I was still going to school because I knew once I stopped school, I wasn't going back. And so I always kept at least one class going to keep me in the don't stop because once you do, you're not. I, I just know how I am. But I think about when I quit one of those jobs um, because financially things got better. I think about all the time I squandered in R&R because, I mean, I took that 40-hour week that I quit and that went straight to TV, video games, extra rest. Um, I mean, there was really – it became the devil's idle, idle hands is what I, what I became. Um, and so I, I regret that because I, I tell you all the time I wish – I would have pursued that time to uh, whether just work out my skills better, um, whether to get certifications for my job or whatever, so I can be better now able to uh, provide for my family and my church. It was just at that time, it was the last thing on my mind. And so I hope the ones here would not take, not take that same path that I did regarding the waste of time. Once again, you need R&R. You need it. Uh, just be wise with how much you're consuming of that uh, each week, personally. We, we can talk about what the Bible says about laziness. Uh, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says, Go go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, and be wise, which have no chief, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer, and gathers her provisions in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you rise from sl- your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of, your, of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. These verses offer wisdom concerning laziness and the financial ruin that inevitably results. We are told to consider the industrious ant who works to store up food for itself. The passage also warns against sleeping when we should be working at something profitable. Um, a sluggard is the laziest lawful person who would rather rest than work. His end is assured, and that is poverty and want. But, on the flip side, 
because there's always two sides to every story. On the other hand, at end of the train track is the one who is obsessed with gaining money. And we kind of talked about it last time, but the Bible talks about this person too. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Uh, this verse describes a person as one who will never have enough wealth to satisfy him and must con be constantly grasping for more and more. But the more he gains, the more worthless it all really is. If we love money, we will never be satisfied, always striving for more. And in that same tone, there was a man by the name of Howard Hughes, a former billionaire who died in 1976, who was once asked, how much money does it take to be happy? And his answer became the stuff of legends. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more, and you will achieve that happiness. And so then I, once again, because this was for a men's study, do you ever feel this way? Is that your thinking? If so, we can refer back to the last study. When I ask, are you content? Uh, because if that is your thinking, you're more likely than not, not content. And then I sometimes just wonder, because I was thinking about this this morning, I, th I think, if anything, not universally in this church, but I think, it's, I think a chunk of people are very content with the, what the Lord has provided them with and use that as a crutch to not grow even more um, for their family. Uh, they kind of just look around and say, oh, yeah, I'm in the red this month, no different from last month, but I'm thankful for what the Lord provided me for, so I would not pursue growth. I would not try to uh, advance in my job. I would not try to get a whole different job. So sometimes I wonder if there's a lack of desire to better not only provide for their family, but also their church who they claim to support in word. Not always action, but at least word. Um, I'm, I'm just... Uh, Challenging the ones who have that kind of thought to just think about um, the ones that you claim to love, your family. Think about the, the church that you claim to support. And then ask yourself, am I doing my part? Not obviously in this, we're talking finan financially. Um, that's what the le lesson's about. But I'll, I mean, finances aren't the only thing either. Are you engaged in other ways as well? Um, but for this lesson... Do you support the church financially? Rather than desiring to heap riches upon ourselves, the biblical model is one of giving, not getting. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, that's 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. And then we are also encouraged to be good stewards of what God has given us. In Luke 16, 1 through 13, Jesus told the parable of the dishonest steward as a, as a way of warning us against poor stewardship. The moral of the story is, so if you have not been trustworthy in ha handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches, riches of God? We are also responsible to provide for our own households, as 1 Timothy 5, 8 reminds us if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for those for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So with all that said, some practical stuff. What does the Bible say about money and management? Here's a little breakdown of God's financial game plan per se. 
Make a budget and stick to it. Make a budget and stick to it. Have you ever gotten near the end of the month and started to worry you wouldn't have enough money to make it to your next paycheck? Plenty of, plenty of folks are in that position every day where it feels like you got more month than money, more, more month than money. Uh, thankfully, there's a solution to this problem, uh, budgeting. Uh, while Jesus was talking to his followers about counting the cost, and counting the cost referred to the fact that in following Christ, we may lose relationships, dreams, and material things, or even our lives, I think there was an important principle that we could use from it in regards to budgeting. Uh, the exact verse states, for, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish it. Uh, once again, that's talking about um, the, co the cost of following Christ, but I think there's a principle in there about just in re uh, retrospect to your, your finances. Getting to the end of the month without enough money to cover basic expenses is just like the person who goes out to build a tower, lays the foundation, and can't finish it because he's out of money. But when you sit down first and count the cost by making a budget before every month begins, uh, that shouldn't happen anymore. Obviously, there are those extreme circumstances that come up unexpectedly that are just extremely financially hindering. But for the most part, if you, if you follow this, you should be okay. Because adults devise a plan and follow it, while children do what feels good. Putting in the time and effort to make a plan and give every dollar you bring home a job before the month begins is, is a must if you want to manage money well and do it according to God's ways. Uh, and if by, any, if by any chance uh, people don't know what a budget is, it's where you compare the amount of money you are bringing in each month the, the monthly expenses that you have and making sure that you are living within your means. If your expenses are higher than your income, then you are in the red and need to either make more income or lower your expenses or both. Um, anytime you start a budget, you should look at what monthly expenses you have and determine if that is an expense you need or not. And if you do need it, is there a way to lower that expense? Uh, through like a program or something. I think of myself, your utilities, uh, if you don't do anything, you're, you're always gonna be put into a certain plan, like your electricity, I think, at least people in my area are thrown into a NOPEC. Um, and right now it's like 10 cents, 11 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, but if you buy your electricity through uh, a different supplier, you can get fixed rates. Um, so that's one way. The sewer, when I was watering my grass all summer long because of the new grass, um, I got into their summer, summer sprinkling program because you're not putting the water into the sewers anymore, you're just putting it into the ground. And so they calculate usage of prior year to this year. And basically, whatever you spent more, you use a lot more water this year, um, they're going to assume that you're watering your grass or whatever, however they calculate it. But at the end of the day, I was showing Abby the one day, I saved like $250 on my sewer bill just by applying to the program. It's, it's basically, you apply, you get it. Um, you just have to apply for it. And I was telling her, I said, what if I didn't even know this? That would have been $250 just for the one month. All summer long, I think it was like $500 I saved. So sometimes just put a little, put a little work in to see, can you lower your expenses? Can you save money somewhere? And if, and if the expense is not a need, 
either get rid of it or if you have the month the the extra income it's okay to enjoy this it is okay like you don't have to sit there and, and strip yourself of everything just because you want to be i don't know pious or something just it's okay you want netflix it's okay if you want netflix and you ain't given to the church i would it becomes a more of a maybe deeper conversation that must be had Another topic is uh, live on less than you make and save. When you make, when you make your budget, you need to think beyond today's needs and the month ahead. You'll want to think about the future too. That means living on, living on less than you make so you'll have money left over to save. So you not only want to get your budget uh, in balance, but uh, hopefully your income still exceeds your expenses so you're having money to save to put away for future needs that arise. The Bible talks about the importance of savings. Uh, Proverbs 21, 20 says, the, store, the wise store up choice food in the olive oil, but the, food, the fools gulped theirs down. Now we know saving money isn't easy, but if you don't control your spending enough to have money left over at the end of the month, you'll wind up just like the 59% of Americans, at least as of that writing that I, I saw, uh, who live paycheck to paycheck. I'm, sh I'm sure that number is probably more by now. That's why it's crucial for you to stick to your budget and have enough discipline to avoid being like the foolish man who devours all that he has. The Bible is clear about, about how that kind of discipline is 100% worth it in the end, even though it can be really hard at first. Once again, a, prin a principle uh, text. Hebrews 12.11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at, the, at that time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Uh, don't be like the foolish man of Proverbs 21.20 and devour all that you have. Live on less than you make and save for the future. Um, sometimes I reiterate myself because I'm hoping it sticks. Um, so what should you save money for, you ask? Well, all sorts of things. You can save to maybe... Buy a car with cash when that time comes, so you're not having another loan in your life. Uh, pay, maybe you're maybe you're that gracious parent who pays for their the kids to go to college. Bless your souls. And maybe you even go on vacation. I know Abby would like me to read that one again because we have yet to do that. But <laughs> before you do any of that, though, you'll want to make sure you've saved money for emergencies. It's recommended saving three to six months worth of your expenses in an emergency fund because, uh, you know, life happens. Things, things at the house, uh, job situations and whatnot. So it's always nice to have a little emergency so you can with endure during that time. I think about me and Abby when we found out about Holly and we started to plan for baby Holly months in advance. We were buying clothes, got her room ready. Started buying loads of diapers. I did that one day during a women's study. I came home with a whole bunch of Costco diapers and all that because they were having a sale like I'd never seen. So even though it was six months before she was born, load, load it up. I'm not sure if this sale is ever coming back. Buy now, save later is my philosophy with many things. Not everything, but many. Um, and then Abby wanted to take three months off. And because her job doesn't offer you know any pay during that time for part-timers, uh, we knew that we were going to have to stock money away. So when her income stopped, we still had enough to meet our 
fixed monthly expenses. So we, it's all about planning. You don't want to just wait till the day of and go, well, I'm, I don't have an income now. Guess it's gonna be a rough three months. Plan, 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 plan. Uh, so the important thing to really take away from this point is really to live on less than you make and save that extra income. So then from that savings, you could be more prepared to handle circumstances that arise. Or do I dare say you could give more? Uh, next point, invest and build wealth. You should also save money because it allows you to build wealth, uh, to invest and build wealth over time. And here's the thing, it may be a little shocking. God is okay with you being wealthy. He is. Um, obviously, that doesn't mean that simply choosing to be a Christian and going to church will make you rich. Spiritually, it should. Maybe not monetarily. Uh, we don't believe in the prosperity gospel, as far as I know of. Okay, good, good. Just making sure somebody wasn't like, what? But if you follow God's way of handling money, you will build wealth over time. And God is okay with that. It's what he kind of encouraged you, kind of encouraged you to do, per se. Uh, it says in Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. How do you leave an inheritance to your children's children, children by building wealth? This doesn't mean, this is actually more for me. <laughs> this doesn't mean you have some permission to, uh, ah, maybe not this part, uh, to, to go buy into some quick, get rich quick scheme. That's dumb, and the Bible says it's a bad idea. But Proverbs 28, 20 says, He who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. And why I say this is kind of me, because as I was re-looking re, uh, re over this, I once, shocking as it may be, had an issue with the dreaded lottery ticket. The dreaded lottery ticket was a very bad part of my life at one point. So it's funny, I think about it, when I used to, when I used to play literally for fun, I typically would do okay. And I don't mean like big winners here, but either broke even or made an extra $20. But when I would sit there and like, I need this so bad, I don't ever want to work again. I never prayed to God for it because I knew that was wrong, which should have been the initial hint. But I would sit there and think about all the good things I would do with my, my cash and how maybe the church would have a building if I, if I won the lottery. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, he who hastens to be rich would not go unpunished. I definitely wasted a lot of cash at one point for me and my family. So I definitely, went, I definitely didn't go unpunished. Instead, follow the biblical plan for building wealth. Make a budget and stick to it. Live on less than you make. Save. Invest over time in plans with a proven track record. Repeat those behaviors over and over again, and you'll build wealth. What does... The Bible say about debt. Let's review one more time. The Bible talks about debt a lot. And spoiler alert, it's typically not good. It's typically not good. Um, while scripture certainly doesn't teach that going to, into debt is sin, it's clear about one thing. Borrowing money is a bad idea, typically, um, always. Once again, I think about houses and stuff sometimes. It's just unavoidable. Not many people are gonna have 200,000 built up by the age of 22. If you do, talk to me, because I would like to learn what you did. <laughs> but, um, so, but it's typically not a good thing, uh, especially just the stupid debt, like credit cards and stuff like that. That's, 
unless unless you really hit something something in your life medical problem that puts you there's always exceptions but typically if you're running high on credit cards and nothing's really changed in your life other than just you continue to spend more there's a problem that should be addressed let's see um probably the most well-known scripture about money management that deals with debt is proverbs 22 7 which says the the rich rule over the poor and the borrower borrower is, sla is a slave to the lender uh, translation, if you owe someone money, they'll control your life until you pay it back. In fact, the Apostle Paul teaches in Romans 13, 8, that we shouldn't owe anything to anyone aside from love. He wrote, no one, owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. The Bible doesn't just warn about you going into debt either. This is big. It also tells us that helping a friend or going into debt by co-signing Probably not a good idea either. Proverbs seventeen eighteen says, One who has no sense shakes hands in pledge and puts up security for a neighbor. And then a different translation, um, the contemporary English version trans translation kind of makes it very crystal clear. It's stupid to guarantee someone else's loan. I mean, I think... I don't even think I could do it for my child. I don't... I mean, uh, maybe. I mean, it would have to be... I would have to see a lot of wisdom from this kid for many years because I, I just don't see myself saying, yeah, let me go sign over a $20,000 loan for you to get a car. And then all of a sudden you decide to change your living habits because you're now you're 18 and who I thought you were now isn't who you are. Uh, so I don't know. There, there would have to be a lot of wisdom in that, but it seems like scripture is telling me it's stupid to guarantee someone else's loan. Maybe I should heed that how to steward your money well we have to remember the, the thing about our money is it's not really ours psalms 24 1 tells us the lord is the lord's the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof that fullness includes money what does the bible say about stewardship the money in our wallets purses, and the bank accounts isn't ours it's god's he just he's just letting us be a steward which is the Bible's way of saying God lets us manage, not own, his money. That's, that's why it's so important for us to follow God's ways of handling money, his money, his rules. When we, when we do follow God's way of handling money by avoiding debt, saving, and building wealth, we're being good stewards of his blessings. What does the Bible say about generosity? By the way, we don't just save, invest, and build wealth so we can hoard money or enjoy it to ourselves. The biggest reason we build wealth is so we can use it to be outrageously generous. Being generous isn't just something God wants us to do. It's part of how he made us. Giving is in our DNA. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, so what does biblical generosity look like? Uh, first, we're called to give some, money, give some of our money for, for kingdom purposes. This is something you can do whether you're a millionaire or still working to get out of debt. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Uh, notice how this verse tells us to honor God with our first fruits, which is Bible talk for giving off the top of what we make rather than simply whatever is left over. And so this is where it gets kind of debatable because uh, a lot of people say a good place to start off with is giving 10% of your income, a.k.a. Uh, tithing to your local church. I will say that should be 
one of the first items on your list. You, should, you, should, you shouldn't have that be the last budget item saying this is what I got left over, so this is what you get, Lord. I think it should be really something you strive to give back in thanks for what God has provided you with. Um, I know when times get tough, it seems like the first thing that goes is the giving. But I think, I think priorities should be kind of set in your own mind where your giving lies. Obviously, the uh, situation is different. Everyone, everyone's situation is different. We know God doesn't want you to give if you truly can't make your own ends meet. Uh, think of the woman and two coins. But if, you're, but if you are able to afford that $5 coffee here and there, if you can afford just going out to eat, especially now with that, there's no dollar menu anymore. It's gone. Even the pop is $1.29. It's... If you can afford, if you can afford that, if you can buy your multiple subscriptions to Netflix, Hulu, Apple Music, Amazon, I'm sure there is some wiggle room to put something in the box every now and again. And I need people to understand. I'm not trying to shake you down. I'm not. Uh, that's not my goal here. My goal is to hopefully get you to understand what you have is not yours. What is what you have is not yours to begin with. And if you truly are in such poverty that you can't give, then I urge you not to, but then I urge you to make changes so you can eventually make this change. Don't stay in that consistent state of poverty by choice unless you truly have a situation that, like the only thing I can think of at the top of my head is just medical reasons. I mean, if you just have something medical that eliminates your ability to work. and But even that, I feel like in this day and age, there's always... You can always do something. I'm not, I mean, don't ask me about it, but you can always do something on your computer to make income. People are always finding genius ways to make incomes that you can become an influencer. Nobody would follow me, so I don't choose to go that path. If you're still working to get out of debt or build an emergency, emergency fund, you should focus the rest of your income on hitting those goals. First uh, Timothy 5, 8 says... As we said earlier, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So make sure that you are providing adequately for your family. So once your household is squared away, you should really think about giving more to uh, your local church. As you start to build wealth and hopefully pay off your mortgage or early, because it's okay once again to pay off debt early. I don't think you have to pay the full interest. You can start to get crazy with your giving. You can do more to help others, etc. Uh, we're told in po- po- Proverbs eleven twenty five that a generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The Bible's financial plan may seem simple. It works every time. It's time for us to step up and decide to follow it. Um, in summary, what does the Bible say about managing money? The answer is... The answer can be summarized with a single word, wisdom. We are to be wise with our money, and we are to save money, but not hoard it. We are to spend money, but with discretion and control. We are to give back to the Lord joyfully and sacrificially, as we will hit on in part five. Uh, We are to use our money to help others, but with discernment and the guidance of God's spirit. It is not wrong to be rich, but it is wrong to love money. It is not wrong to be poor, but it's wrong to waste money on trivial things. The Bible is consistent message on managing money is to be wise. That's it.
Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Elyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you. 